we come to the section in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus talks about oaths. And we might fall into the same trap that certain cults and certain fundamentalists in the church have fallen into thinking that this is really about whether or not we should ever make an oath or swear. But it's not about that. What today is about is integrity. That should mark God's kingdom people and therefore be the norm in God's kingdom culture, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is. I remember a story about these four students that were late for their first period class and there had been a test. They came in right at the end of it and said to the teacher, sorry, we're late, we got held up by a flat tire. The teacher said, that's okay, I I understand those things happen. Actually, you can take the test right now. She handed them each a sheet of paper, sent them to the four corners of the room, and then said, this test has just one question. Which tire was flat? (laughs) Now let's admit it, all of us have had situations where we're really glad people didn't ask any follow-up questions. Because the truth is, we all lie. How do we become such a lying people? Well, Genesis 3 tells us how it happened. The serpent lied, and his lie was a half-truth. Part true, part lie. Adam and Eve were pulled in, and they fell, and God shows up, and he says, what have you done? And what does Adam do? Passes the buck. The woman that you gave me Gave me to eat and I ate it. Was he factually correct? Yes. Was he telling the truth? No. A lot of us lie that way. Eve does the same thing. The serpent made me do it. You see, lying became our nature because now we are children of the father of lies, the evil one. And we're gonna see that connection even in Jesus' teaching here in this brief passage in Matthew chapter five. So I encourage you to turn there with me once again. And we're gonna simply read from verse 33 to verse 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. What is Jesus getting at here? We have the blessing of being in the story. We know what's happening at this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is contrasting life in the kingdom by God's kingdom people that are described by the Beatitudes and the impact they have on the culture around them as salt and light. Now he's getting into what that looks like when it's lived out against the pseudo-religion of the Pharisees. You see, one of the areas that the mission has spent a lot of time on was oaths. And rather than clarifying so that they were people of integrity, the Pharisees had turned oath-giving into the fine art of deceit. 
the statement that Jesus says in verse 33, you have heard it said long ago, and he is referring to Moses, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. There's no specific reference of that in the Old Testament, but it does summarize the teaching of Moses in relation to oath giving. And the, the important phrase for us to note, to understand what he was saying to the Pharisees is the words, to the Lord. What the Pharisees had done is created this very complex system of when an oath was to the Lord and when it wasn't. And the closer your vow was to the Lord, the more bound you were by it. And what that meant was there were ways you could make an oath and actually not keep your promise. Everyone there understood that Jesus was referring to four of the most common ways that the Pharisees would make vows that they felt they were not bound to, by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, or by your head. They believed that those were not references that were close enough to the Lord that you were really bound by. So in other words, you could cross your fingers behind your back and you could still be righteous. It was legal lying is what it was. That's what they turned God's law into. We see more of this in the polemic section of the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm gonna ask you to turn with me quickly there. Matthew chapter 23. By this point in time, the themes that Jesus introduces in the Sermon on the Mount have become part of an ongoing debate between the religious leaders and Jesus. And it reaches a point now where Jesus just unloads on the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Verse 13, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Let's just explore what Jesus is saying here. He's saying to them, by leading people down this path that you can attain religious righteousness, and then by playing with the rules so actually you're calling sin blessed, you're actually leading people to hell by converting them to your way of thinking. You think you're opening the kingdom of heaven to them, which the Sermon on the Mount is about, right? It's about the kingdom of heaven. You think you're opening the kingdom of heaven to them, and what you're doing is slamming the door on their face, and they're gonna perish with you. Wow! I don't think they liked him after this very much. (laughs) Let's read on. Woe to you blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. Here we see more of their games that they played. You could swear by the temple, but not by the gold of the temple because that's more about God. Then he goes on, verse 17. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple? That makes the gold sacred. You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, 
which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. And so in this very strong, clear, direct teaching, Jesus again shows his response to the racket of oath giving that existed in first century Judaism. Here is what we learn. Religious legalism creates a culture of dishonesty. That's why Jesus was so mad at them. When you hold people to a standard and say, you have to live this way, otherwise you're not gonna get into heaven. When you say you have to follow these rules, inevitably all of us will break the rules. So what do we do? We work our way around it. The Pharisees show us that when we try to achieve heaven, when we try to achieve the kingdom of heaven, through religious righteousness, the end result actually is we're creating a bunch of liars. Fundamentalist churches create liars in the pew because we come in and we pretend we're perfect and we're afraid to admit that we're not. Consequently, no real transformation occurs. Religious legalism creates a culture of dishonesty. And the second thing is that religious righteousness deceives people into a false sense of security, and that's as true for us today as it was then. Those of us that say, well, I'm a better person than everybody else, God's gotta let me into his kingdom, that's deception, that's religious righteousness, you've been lulled into a false sense of security, because you can never be good enough. We've already learned that in the Sermon on the Mount. The whole sermon begins with admitting we will never be good enough for the kingdom, but we're blessed if we acknowledge it because those receive the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus teach contrasting to the Pharisees? And that's under the point, the heart of integrity. Three quick things I wanna share with you. Vows and rituals become necessary only because evil came into the world. When Jesus says, just say yes, actually the Greek, he says both words twice. Yes, yes, and no, no. So it's a little more than just standard conversation. It's an intentional pledge to do the right thing. There's an emphasis in the doubling. What Jesus points out is that anything else is only necessary and is rooted in the evil one. Now that word, the evil one, is the same word that in the Lord's Prayer is translated by different groups as deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Your Bible may have one or the other. And so Jesus is just as clearly saying those types of vows are rooted in evil. This is not saying you don't make oaths. God himself made oaths to Abraham and to people to help them understand he was being truthful. Paul, Jesus, made oaths. Oaths are a part of our life, but we only need oaths because of the presence of evil. We don't trust others to speak truth because we know we don't speak truth. What are some of the oaths you learned when you were a kid to say when you were telling the truth? Cross my heart, hope to die. <laughs> Pinky swear. See, it comes natural to us from the time we're very young 
we don't really trust people. So we come up with these ways to know that they're going to tell the truth. Jesus is saying that's the same thing. Oaths came into existence because of moral brokenness. And the second though, for Christians, any promise we make is a promise to God. Don't swear by heaven, for it is God's throne. Don't swear by the earth, for it is his footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And don't swear by your head. His point is that the whole earth is God's. To swear by anything is to swear to God. So if you're going to make an oath, keep your promise. The third thing is when we're in a culture where honesty and truth exist, oaths become unnecessary. Our word becomes enough. This is what happens in the kingdom culture. As we become transformed by the grace of God, become those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we become those who are peacemakers. As we become those who have learned to trust and learn that we can be honest before God and be loved in spite of all that he sees in us that's fallen, we learn to be honest and trust one another. In the kingdom of God, vows become unnecessary. We speak truth in love, and so because of that, in God's kingdom, your yes and your no should be good enough. And that should be the radical difference between God's people in this world. People ought to look at us and say they are people of integrity. Now, how do we get there? How do we become a person of honor? First of all, it obviously means you need to be part of the kingdom of heaven. This environment of honesty and trust is only possible when people all admit we're all a work in progress and we're willing to be real with each other. If you're here, I want you to know you don't have to put it on. We're all a work in progress. Grace abounds. But I want to suggest four levels of honesty that are part of this transforming work. And the first is learning to be honest with yourself. The best liars I have ever met convince themselves they are not lying. Have you ever experienced that kind of person? The first place where honesty is compromised is in our own spirit because we lie to ourselves about ourselves. Look at these verses. Jeremiah 17, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The human heart's deceitful. Who is it deceiving? You. 1 John 1.8, say this with me. If we say that we have no fault, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. You see, most of us live right there. It shows up in all of our conversations because we must never admit that we're the cause of the issue. We never assume that fault or sin, which is the more common translation in 1 John, is from us. The problem is you, not me. We have to learn to admit and to look first at our own brokenness. Otherwise, you will be living not in the truth and people will know it. It'll show up in your relationships. It'll show up in how God's able to bless your life. People that never own their contribution 
to conflict are people that are lying to themselves. And here's the problem. You are only lying to yourself because everybody else sees it. There's one of those anti-motivation posters that says, did you ever think that the weakest link in all your relationships is you? We have to learn to become honest with ourselves. The second thing we need to do is to bring truthfulness into our relationships. This is where self-deception can be most destructive. When I come into a setting where I'm being conflicted with a spouse or a sibling or a good friend or in the workplace and I am unable to be truthful in that moment because my reputation, my being right, my standing is more important to me than honesty. We have all experienced people like that who will never fully admit their wrongdoing. They'll say, for instance, I'm sorry that things went bad between us. What the heck is that apologizing for? Right? Those are self-deceivers that are not bringing truthfulness into the conversation. If you win all of your conflict and get acknowledgement from other people that you're just being misunderstood and really have done nothing wrong, that doesn't prove that you're truthful. It just proves you're the better arguer in the relationship. That's all that proves. We need to bring this willingness to look at ourselves, to use circumstances, to hold a mirror up to our own hearts, and then to come forward honestly and openly into a conversation. James 1.19 is one of the most brilliant verses in all of Scripture, and we overlook it because it's so short and so familiar. Each of us should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Man, there's a whole seminar right there in conflict resolution, but we don't have time to go into it today. The third place where we need to talk about personal honor is authenticity in the church. There is no such thing as a mature body in Christ who has not learned to welcome the truth in grace and gladly speak the truth to one another in love. Ephesians 4, say this with me. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of Christ. Being willing to have an honest give and take, not a judgmental one. You know, I've had people come up to me who think they know what's going on in my heart and challenge me about that. And sometimes they're right, but very often they're wrong. I'm not talking about your conclusions about the heart of people. Last time I checked, none of you here are the Holy Spirit. All you can do is react to what you're receiving. So I don't think of truth and love as being critical or judgmental. Truth and love, I refer to as feedback. It's saying to somebody, can we talk about what I'm sensing in this relationship or in this conversation? My experience of you is this. Is there any validity to that or my misunderstanding? Learning to come alongside a person, not at them, is speaking the truth in love. There are a lot of people in a lot of churches who think they're speaking the truth in love by speaking their mind. <laughs> I'm just one of those people. I just speak my mind. Speaking your mind is rarely speaking the truth, and it's certainly rarely done in love. That should not be present in a church. We need to have everything we do seasoned with grace, but open up and bring 
authenticity into our church. And then finally, what that leads to is the whole people of God having integrity before the world around them. There is definitely a truth that the church has lost ground in this country because of our hypocrisy. Because our yes is not yes, our no is not no. That needs to show up with your neighbors. What do you need to return that you borrowed from your neighbor two years ago? (laughs) What promise have you made to your kids? That needs to show up at work. Your boss needs to know they're getting a full work week out of you. That has to show up at home in your marriages. We need to be promise keepers. And the world needs to look at us and say, boy, Christians are people who keep their word. So that when they hear the promise of God, they know it's a message that can be counted on to change their lives. It's enough for your yes to be yes and your no to be no if you are a true child of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. There's so much in this little passage we've looked at and tried to unpack this morning that um, points to us being more honest, more faithful to our promises, people of greater integrity. Father, we want to demonstrate your faithfulness by being faithful in our relationships. And I pray that by doing that, we will live such good lives before the world. We will shine a light and a beacon of hope and that they too will come to praise and glorify our Father. In Jesus' name, amen.